Dear Honorverse listeners, it seems that Mason nanites were somehow introduced into our recording equipment. The result is that some portions of audio sound like they were on the wrong side of an argument with a hexapuma. There was a choice. Re-record the episode or clean it up as best we could. The unscripted conversation and discussion of In Enemy Hands was excellent, and there's simply no way the boys would ever be able to duplicate it. Hopefully, our listeners will excuse the quality of the recording and favor the quality of the content. So with that said, let's be about it. Welcome to Honorverse Today, the Honor Harrington podcast, brought to you by TPE Network. Let's be about it. Hello, Honorverse fans. Welcome to our next exciting episode of Honorverse Today. This is Roel Wybera, and I am joined, as always, by my good friends Jim Arrowood and J.P. Harvey. How are you two men tonight? Doing well. Fantastic here, too. Yeah, it's we, we had a little bit of a delay uh, on our end, so I, I, I've missed the conversations, and it is great to be back with everyone. Um <laughs> wow. This is book seven we're going to be talking about today. And, you know, mm-hmm. this is halfway through what some people would call the quote unquote main series. Uh, I, uh-huh. I, I kind of disagree with that uh, for reasons that we'll be talking about in an episode or two. Now, uh, OK, just just a little bit. The two concurrent spinoffs. They ended up not really being spinoffs. They actually advanced the main story, and it's kind of hard to make sense of the main story without them. So that, that's why. And like I said, we'll, we'll talk about that a little more as we go along. But this particular book is a fan favorite, and for a lot of good reasons. Th- there's a lot of world building. We get a whole the openings of a whole new naval doctrine. We've got great action. We've got serious shocks. We've got sad moments and some twists you probably didn't even see coming. Yeah, I'll say. <laughs> Be warned, though. This book is not an easy read at all. It is very disturbing at some points. And so with that in mind, uh, Jim, I'm going to let you give us a summary to get us started. All right. From the back of the book, Honor Harrington's career has its ups and downs. She has survived ship-to-ship battles, assassins, political vendettas, and duels. She's been shot at, shot down, and just plain shot. Had starships blown out from under her and made personal enemies who will stop at nothing to ruin her. And somehow she survived it all. But this time, she's really in trouble. The People's Republic of Haven has finally found an admiral who can win battles, and Honor's raiders take her straight into an ambush. Outnumbered, outgunned, and unable to run, she has just two options. See the people under her command die in a hopeless, futile battle, or surrender them 
and herself to the People's Republic of Haven. There can only be one choice, and at least the People's Navy promises to treat their prisoners honorably. But the Navy is overruled by the political authorities, and Honor finds herself bound for a prison planet aptly named Hell and her scheduled execution. Put into solitary confinement, separated from her officers and her tree cat Nimitz, and subjected to systematic humiliation by her jailers, Honor's future has become both bleak and short. Yet bad as things look, they're about to get worse. For the People's Republic of Haven, that is. Well, there it is. Yeah. And you know what, Jim? Yeah. Did we mentioned the title of the book before we started. No, I don't think we did. Uh, I don't think either of us did. What no. book are we reading tonight? Well, we are going to talk about In Enemy Hands, Honor Harrington, book number seven, by David Weber, of course. Mm-hmm. Okay. And before we turn it over to JP, I did want to make a couple of uh, shout-outs uh, just to some of the listeners that have been... Uh, that I've been commun- talking to with email and uh, a few other things. Uh, first of all, Rhonda Ward-Tesh on uh, David Weber's hand site, uh, Dr. David uh, Perlmutter, uh, who's actually not just regular interest, but uh, he's a, actually a professor of communication and has been and loves military sci-fi. Uh, Baz and Conrad Frank continue to email us back and forth. All the great folks that I know all of us have been chatting with on uh, the Royal Manticore Navy uh, Facebook page. And I guess I do have to give one other uh, kind of special shout out. Uh, We recently found out that uh, we have another fan of our podcast, a certain Mr. David Weber. I don't know if that name sounds familiar or not, but that was was a nice little tidbit to discover. (laughs) Yeah, what a surprise. Yeah. What 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 a surprise! I don't know why he would be interested so much in little old us, but uh, we'll. <laughs> well, I, I heard he likes the story. Oh no! I, yeah, <laughs> look, forget it, guys. Forget forget all that stuff. It boils down to one simple thing: we're all he's got. <laughs> huh? <laughs> oh, God. oh Lord! And on that happy note, let's pass this over to JP for any of his. Uh, any uh, technical uh, notes on the book? Hey, Jim, were you saying that of all the Honor Harrington podcasts that are out there and have ever been done, this is one of them? Uh, yep, yep, that's right. <laughs> we're the best. Of course, we're also the only, go. but aside from that, a little detail. I still don't understand yeah. why there's never been an Honor Harrington podcast before, though. Well, that's because well, we were busy with the B5 thing. <laughs> yeah. Problem Pretty solved. Sure. Yeah. All right. All right. Some uh, some special notes or side notes or amplification, whatever you want to call this. In Enemy Hands is just 14 pages shorter than the previous novel, which when we talked about that was, you know, the longest one to date. So this one's at 530 pages, pretty hefty. Uh, it was published by Ban in August of 97 just a year after Honor Among Enemies. Uh, David Weber's clearly on a roll as the story of Honor Harrington is unfolding on what to me is an amazing and consistent timeline. Uh, These books, at least up to this point, are coming out 
to me, it seems very frequently for the size and the quality and the, um, the, well, size, meaning the, the volume of content, it, it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. Pretty impressive that the story is unfolding as quickly as it is back when they were published. Uh, given that we're now halfway through the core series of novels, I, I, I'm, I'm sitting kind of in awe of the amount that of story that's coming out on essentially an annual basis. And, and in some cases, more than one book a year so far. So neat stuff. Uh, that's really it for the special notes for this book. How about overall impressions? Uh, Jim, you want to kick us off? All right, I sure will. So yet another epic story with another generous portion of commentary from Murray the Explainer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Enough said about that. I found it interesting uh, how the uh, last book, Honor Among Enemies, a story that looked at how the Manticorans treated prisoners with dignity and respect was followed by In Enemy Hands, this story of how the Manticoran prisoners were so badly treated by the People's Republic in general, and by the head of state security, which was aptly and often referred to as the SS. I'm sure this wasn't an accident on the author's part, and he has done a great job of resurrecting some of history's most vile villains. Uh, I found this tale extremely disturbing and uh, had to set the book aside to decompress and remind myself that it was only a story. Uh, this is not a tale I would recommend to just anyone. It's full of triggers that some may not be able to handle. Okay, and yeah, I enjoyed it. So, JP, Raul, which one of you are going to take the next one? Let's say you, Raul. First of all, I do have to start out with, and this isn't a re this isn't a reference to Jim, uh, where the exposition is concerned. Uh, that has been what that is. The, the exposition is one of the things that a lot of people comment on. So you are far and away from uh, being the only person in, in that uh, camp, Jim. That said, I do have to make one thing clear: I am not a David Weber apologist. I have just always loved expositional writing. My favorite part of Lord of the Rings, for example, is the Council of Elrond, which in my Lord of the Rings collection is 60-something, around 65-ish pages long. Not paragraphs, but pages. So I, I, I'm the crazy person who likes exposition, who thinks the Silmarillion is just heavenly. So it, it's, it, it's, not a be, it's not being an apologist. We're, it, we're just on opposite ends of that spectrum, which I hope gives us some fun conversation as we go. This particular book is dense. There's a lot in it. And this is also many people's favorite Honor Harrington book. I understand why. It's got the action. It's got the world building. It's got the heartbreak. It's got the plot twists. There are a lot of teaching moments in, in the book as far as teaching history and theory. Uh, rather than dealing with the M of JP's dime, uh, it takes the I into the lead for both this book and also in the follow-up, Echoes of Honor. We don't have a lot of new characters in this book, which was nice. That doesn't happen a lot. But unfortunately, we also lose a lot of characters uh, that, we'll, that we do care about. And Jim is absolutely right. There are parts of this book that will bother you. There's a pro you have a problem if it doesn't. It's supposed to. One of uh, 
one of the author's goals in writing these books was to convey the horror of war and the individual price it rips out of people. He succeeds. I'll, I'll just leave, leave that. But saying that, while this book shows some of the worst of humanity, it also shows some of the best. And, and finally, you realize reading this book just how unstable the Committee for Public... Yeah, the Committee... I, I, I get the Committee for and the Committee of uh, mixed up here a lot. The Committee is much more unstable than even the three who run it realize. They're pretty much creating their own demise here. And we're going to see the two factions start to, uh, start to come up. That, that was my first impression. Those were my first impressions. This, I'm not going to necessarily say this was my favorite book, but if it's not, it's tied or it's tied for a very close second. So from there, I want to turn this over to JP. All right. Um, I think in this book, we get a significant dose of what we've already seen in little small doses or small chunks in some of the previous books. When Manticore ends up with prisoners of war in their custody, they're treated with all the courtesy and respect expected of a professional military that follows what I've referred to before as the laws of war. Um, when Manticore and military members find themselves in prison, as prisoners of the People's Republic of Haven, the default treatment for them is unlawful and immoral. Uh, it's abuse. And I don't want to wash over the fact that a part of what Weber gives us here is that that's not a uniform view of how these folks ought to be treated. And you start to see shades of gray and you start to see black and white that exists within the officer core of the Havenites and, um, and among the political leadership. Uh, Weber does a fantastic job of getting... Or, uh, not getting, sorry. Weber does a fantastic job of setting up the circumstances in the first half of the book, leading to the capture of Honor and the members of her squadron, then followed by some disturbing accounts, as you guys have already mentioned, of the abuse of our hero and her personnel. Um, because David is an educator in this context, he, I thought, pretty masterfully uses the situation to teach the reader how and why the peeps are behaving the way that they are. The military adventure fuels and also becomes a political adventure. And like you said, Raul, we are shifting from what is typically emphasis on the military part of Dime over to the informational part of Dime, where a good bit of politics lives. Yep. And we'll be eventually getting to the, uh, we'll, we'll be seeing more of the economic and political as well, too. Th there's going to be a point where the battleground kind of shifts from the battlefield to the conference room uh and it's very much into the politics yeah the diplomacy side of it so how about the story let's discuss the story yeah after all that's the meat of this thing right that's what we're here for okay so i will pause here and there for for comments so honor returns to grayson as she is promoted to the rank of commodore with that rank, she can never command a starship again. She doesn't return alone, though. Nimitz and Samantha have started a family, and eight other tree cats arrive to help with raising their kittens. Uh -huh. So the <laughs> when the last when last uh, in the last book we yep we we picked up Samantha, another <laughs> uh, another tree cat, 
that belonged to, well, I shouldn't say belonged to, that does, that's not how it works. Uh, that was with uh, another officer who was, who was unfortunately killed. So mm-hmm. now we have a tree cat family and tree cat nannies, and there's got to be a song in there somewhere. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what's important about this is the the tree. Oh, well, obviously, it's come. You, if you haven't figured out that that tree cats are a hell of a lot smarter than even Honor thinks, I had thought before. Too bad you're spoiled. <laughs> Uh, they're intentionally the, the, the cats and they make it clear to honor. They are intentionally setting up an, an extra solar colony, uh, uh, on Grayson. They're they're setting up a colony on Grayson by intent and gee, we also be interesting to see where that goes. Yeah. Yes. You, yes, it did. Well, be. And you notice it didn't take very long for, uh, the first bonding uh, the first adoption between a tree cat and uh, someone, a non-Manticoran uh, citizen. Right. Uh, and it just coincidentally happened to be a fairly significant person in Honor's staff. Not sure how much of a coincidence or accident that is there. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Ready to move on? Yes. All right. Admiral Whitehaven arrives... And he and Honor discussed the building of a new class of super dreadnought that would carry a vast number of missile pods. Whitehaven opposes Honor's recommendations, and they have a brief but uh, civil argument. It is then that Honor realizes that the Admiral is in love with her, and she also realizes she has feelings for him, causing her some distress. Now, I don't know about you guys, but this part kind of creeped me out a little bit. <laughs> well, first of all, you can blame Nimitz. Is that, is that because of uh, Honor so far seems, I don't want to say to be a child, but she seems so much she's younger than all of these, uh, these, right. Yeah. So she's not a kid, but um, the way that we've watched her go from being somewhat insecure uh, unsure of herself, all of these kinds of things, which she has matured through, uh, sets it up to look very awkward when she is at the potential starting point of a relationship with somebody whose character seems to be so much older and wiser. You know, this is, this is a, this is a a father figure or a grandfather figure. And, uh, as I recall, it comes up in there that while there is a a notable age difference. They're not actually like, a, it's not a disturbing difference, but the personalities come across like father, daughter, or grandpa, granddaughter, uh, so far. And this, this is where it hits you that that may not quite be the case. Yeah. I kind of, I kind I think that's kind of the angle that I took, but also I took the angle of, uh, the difference in rank. Yeah. Yep. You know, and when if it, bothered, she took if up it with, bothered you and creeped you out, keep in mind it bothered her and creeped her out, and it pre- pretty oh much yeah, it, it sure out. did. Yeah, it creeped out uh, Whitehaven too. Yeah, but I was going to say that you know her and Paul, her and Paul Tankersley, they were both captains, weren't they? In different branches of service, right? But still, yeah. chains of command, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, right. So you know, we've got yeah, we've got a an old guy 
who is a superior officer lusting after a younger officer in his own command structure. And, uh, you know, that, that Except, entered into my thoughts too. I, 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 on the one hand, I agree completely, but on the other hand, the context in which the light bulb went off actually for both of them, really <laughs> for both of them. Yeah. 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 She wasn't, she was not functioning in that persona. She was functioning in the persona of a, a senior admiral of Grayson, and more importantly, she was functioning in the persona mm. of a, of a basically a feudal lord. Where I, she I think that's kind of a on reach. Grayson, <laughs> yeah, but on Grayson, well, she was you know unlike Whitehaven, she was in she was not in uniform Mandacorian uniform. She was operating in the other, in that other, her other roles. And okay, 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 okay. Hold on. All right. I don't care what she was wearing. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, but that's it. It it, it actually is significant. And well, the thing of it is, is I have I have a tough time separating all this. Like, okay, uh, well, right now she's not a Manticoran officer. So, and she's acting as a stead holder. So that means it's okay. No, no, no. I, <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not good. I, I don't, I'm not saying that yeah. uh, because obviously it is not okay. But one of the things, and th- th- this is a continuing, it's, it started some time ago, but she had, she has basically different persons in a legal sense and in a, and the role that she has. If she was his in, if she was an, a subordinate officer, she there is no way in hell she would have told him off the way she did. Yeah. yeah. So it it was it was a completely different context there, and in the context that she was talking to him, she actually outranks him. Yeah. Both. I don't know. Grace and Navy her and her with, surprise. Huh. And and by the way, I don't want to gloss over the fact that he was surprised by his own response to her seeing her in this other context, but yeah. her surprise in all of this is she realized that he might see her differently than just another officer or even just as an admiral or whatever is, um, is exactly what I think caused us to be surprised. And I don't know if that's good writing on Weber's part or it was coincidental, but she, I don't think she was sitting there going, well, I am a stead holder and a head of state and therefore no, she, wasn't. she was shocked and not necessarily in a well. Was she was almost repulsed by it, but she was shocked because she doesn't parse her world up that way either. Even though mm-hmm. the fact is, she's she's an admiral for Manticore. She's or a commodore now. She's a she's a an admiral in the Grayson Navy. The second rank. She's a one. stead holder, therefore a head of state, or you know, in that construct. But honor just sees honor, right? She's just who she yep. is. And yeah. and so she's wrestling with the same things that I think we are, which is, wait a minute, what's happening here? <laughs> you know, and Whitehaven, White, Whitehaven, frankly, was, you know, he, he's been around the block long enough. It's like, yeah, this 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 is someone that, this, this is someone I'm a, that I find attractive. He's good enough at putting the, the stuff to the side. I think what really screwed things up there for him was the fact that she was so flummoxed. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, in any case, um, yep. 
I'll uh, I'll, t- I'll tell you what it, that was a heck of a surprise and and a heck of <laughs> yeah. a swerve in the whole thing. So and just keep in fact also she's on Grayson and she's also half Beowulf. Ah, yeah. Okay, which is totally yeah. To she's mom a super. In, she's she's a extremely socially conservative Sphinxian. At the end of the day, though. Yeah. Okay. So, anyway, confused, she attempts to escape her feelings and joins Alistair McKeon on a convoy run to the Adler system. Uh, they don't realize that the People's Navy, under the orders of Thomas Theismann, Admiral Lester Tourville, commands an attack and obliterates a Manticoran picket at, 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 uh, did I say, or is it Adler or Alder? Alder, I think it is. At- Adler. It's Adler. Okay. So, yeah, it destroys a picket at Adler. Um, so they're I walking add, into a bad scene. As well. An ambush, yeah. yes. And I got to add one thing that happens during this time. Uh, it's at this point. Honor has some family coming to come to uh, Grayson at this point as well. And in the form of her mother. Well, uh, uh, yeah, I mentioned that later. Yep. Yeah. But th- th- this is where she actually arrives, and it- it's Alice. Just think about it for now. At this point, for that later, because there's a setup here that really doesn't get paid off until that later. Mm. At a very <laughs> good time to do it, but you-, you know, you know how Allie is, yeah, and you know how Grayson is. It's a one-sided. It- it's a one-sided match between uh, Allison Harrington and the planet Grayson and the planet Grayson is outnumbered. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sorely outnumbered. Okay. Anyway. Hey, this is the first time we run into Lester Tourville too, isn't it? Uh, yes. I cannot believe, I cannot believe that it took this long for him to get introduced. Uh. This is one of the best characters in the book. Or in the entire series, and I, I, I keep, I kept thinking he came in much sooner than this. There's a couple more, th- th- there's a couple more Havenite characters that'll come in much later. But oh gosh, I, I I'm sorry, I, I just love, uh, I, I just love the cowboy. Ah, uh, cool. Anyway, I, I just had to toss that in. Yeah. Honor boards the HMS Prince Adrian for McKeon's birthday party before leaving for Adler. They arrive to find the picket missing and the People's Navy lying in ambush for the convoy. Honor attempts to lead the enemy away from the convoy as it drops and as it drops out of hyperspace. Honor orders the arriving convoy ships to jump back out as Prince Adrian holds off the People's Navy long enough for escape. After the convoy escapes, a lone Manticorn ship finds itself trapped with no possibility of escape and Honor orders McKeon to surrender. Sort of a case of lose the battle and win the war, or at least win the objective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What were you going to What did you say, JP? Yeah, to, 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 that was a tense scene, and um, I think we see a little bit of a different, uh, not sure what to call it. Uh, Honor is more stern than I feel like we've ever seen her before. Yeah. She was much more uh, directive and a lot less interested in commanding, but also teaching. This was, she was dealing with the situation 
and not interested in taking a whole lot of discussion about it. Uh, and, and that's not a criticism because this situation was pretty nasty. Yeah. Um, but we get to watch um, essentially some friction form between her and her subordinate commanders. At, commander is one ship, but um, in crew, as she had to make some pretty fast decisions that were not just tactical decisions. Mm-hmm. No, she left the fighting right, of the so. ship to she left the fighting of the ship to McKeon. She she was thinking as a commodore slash admiral. Right, it, it, right. It, she had, yeah, but that created friction. That uh, that created a friction between her and McKeon. And yes, I thought it was did. cool that we got to see that. Um, it's it's not all. There's not always the opportunity for a good commander to um, sit back, so to speak, and let certain things unfold. Maybe even certain things fail or struggle to some extent. To ultimately make better officers of those subordinates, she a time came that she goes, "This is what's happening," and even began issuing orders to McKeon about what to do mm-hmm. to include the surrender. Yep, there was no. We're not going to debate this. We're not going to have class today. This is what we have to do, and um, because she was operating at that of as you said, Ralph, she's operating at that level. That what she did was manage a strategic or an operational level problem, not the tactical matter of whether or not mm-hmm. the ship survives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One way of putting out. it, she was making a fleet. She left him with the ship decisions, but she made the fleet decisions. Yep. Yep. She sure did. And spoiler alert, friends, this is not going to end well. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> well, it looks like, at, at first, it looks like it is. Up, if you're standing up, sit down. Yeah. And if you're sitting, you might want to stand up. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and then sit down. So, moving right along, Honor, McKeon, and the crew are taken prisoners of war and are promised fair treatment as Theisman and Tourville remember how Warner Castlet, Shannon Foraker, and the crew of the Valbon was treated when captured by Honor. They are to be interned in a Navy POW camp instead of being turned over to Haven State Security. That is, until Cordelia Ransom, who is in the system checking on Theisman's loyalty, learns that they captured Honor Harrington and takes the crew to her flagship, the Tepes. Ransom will take the crew to a prison planet known as Hades, where Honor is to be executed for the crimes she was convicted of during the First Battle of Basilisk. The rest of the crew are facing life in prison. What a turnaround. Yeah. As Raul said, it looked like everything was going to be very nice. Okay, you treated us well, we're going to treat you well. But uh, we we have this um, radical element. And remember, Tiesman had been... Heisman had surrendered to her as well and been repatriated. So he had a right. personal interest in treating her well as also. Yes. And just to, just to be fair and to show that I do pay attention to what Murray says. I, <laughs> I saw this, I saw some of this coming when I was reading about Cordelia earlier when she was, uh, bantering with the committee. So it was here especially in how they treated uh how uh Cordelia Ransom behaved that the committee for public safety was defeated at, at this point they became a dead body it was is just going to take some time for the corpse to realize it's <laughs> right. dead huh. 
And I'll, you, you, you'll find that, you'll see that in one of the quotes that I, in one of my quotes. Okay. Yeah, that, that was set up pretty solidly, but it wasn't in your face. Um, that this, this was, or certainly appeared to be the beginning of the end mm-hmm. because of some of Ransom's decisions and conduct. Um, this is also where the first real clear picture of friction um, emerges between the some of the military leadership, meaning the ones that took Honor and her uh, folks prisoner, yep. and uh, the SS, because the decision that was made to put them in a Navy POW camp, which is which was a proper decision, was done. That decision was made to in part ensure that they did not end up in the hands of state security. Right. So that professional um, respect that uh, was being, uh, that honor we had seen, we've seen honor offer to prisoners was being returned, not just because, well, she was nice to us. We'll be nice to her too, but because it's the right thing to do, but it was done in the case of, of the, the people's Republic of Havens Navy because they knew that the state security apparatus would not behave itself properly. And, and that becomes an issue here just a a little bit later in the book when Ransom catches one to this. And and Torville, uh, Lester, Warner Caslett, and Shannon at this point are just as dead, you know, condemned because of what you're saying as Mm -hmm. Honor Harrington is at this point. Um, yeah, it wasn't a it wasn't a naive decision they made. They there was risk no, here, and we're watching Shannon, some internal fracture and potential. You could argue from uh, Ransom's eyes, this is now rebellion. Yeah, Shannon's saving uh, Shannon's saving of Nimitz. I mean, that was she. She's yeah. very yeah. I, I was going to say she's lucky she didn't get shot there, and that they were going to wait to kill her. Right. And much the same for Warner Caslett and Lester Tourville as well. In here, because I, I think this was the place where it happened in the book. And if not, then um, he can punch me in the face. But this did happen. Um, a, a part of there was an interesting thing that gets to what you mentioned, Raul, about the undoing of state security and that kind of thing. Um, ransom, rans, uh, ransom dismisses an argument that is made in the immediate future about why, at least as I recall, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, why Harrington should be executed. And it had to do with a court decision that was made prior to the current administration, prior to the current form of government. She says, hey, she was convicted, so she's going to die. We got her, she's going to die. Everyone knows it. But, But later, when there's a discussion about the laws of war, she goes, yeah, we don't have to pay attention to that. Because that was an agreement made by the prior, you know, uh, government that we overthrew because they were evil. Yeah, I caught that. So you'll you'll favor the court decision because it suits you, but then you'll dismiss other things that that same government did because it doesn't suit you. That's a recipe for disaster. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely on that. Mm -hmm. And we watch her do it. And I felt like it was put very plainly in front of us as readers um, by Weber, which goes back to why I said, I think this guy's an educator. He's teaching us mm-hmm. stuff um, that a lot of people, I mentioned this the last last show, I think, a lot of people pay money to learn this stuff in college. And 
and Weber's giving it to us in science fiction, and it's awesome. <laughs> Just yep. the price of a book. <laughs> For the price of a book. Yep. Anyway. All right. Aboard the Tepes, honor is tortured. Pard, uh, please pardon my... Is it Tepes or Teeps? I don't know. I, I'm I'm just going to say okay. it the way I, I hear, I see it. It looks French, so it's probably Farvre or Tip, something like that. Tepe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Um, Bob. Yeah, I was just calling back it to a, a silly, a silly bit. But I, I was just going to apologize for my understatement here. <laughs> Aboard the Tepes. Honor is tortured, and the rest of the crew are severely mistreated on their way to Hades. That is, except for Senior Chief Horace Harkness, who defects to Haven, much to the dismay of the rest of the Manticorans. Yeah. Uh, oh, God, This was, was a, ma- a major twist. A major twist. And I mean, this is... I mean, we've got to talk about the book because we're talking about the book, right? But this would be yep. a major spoiler. Uh, I put the I put the book down when that happened. I had to walk away for a minute. <laughs> Harkness of all people. I mean, yeah. that's what that's what hit me first. And then his even his logic was, well, these people are all screwed, so I might as well hang out for myself. And it's like, wait a minute, who is this guy? This is not the guy we've come to know. <laughs> But, right. Okay, I I gotta ask because for me this was one of the this was one of the this this was the probably one of the for me one of the main annoyances of the book. <laughs> I I reacted the way you did at first, but then Weber kept kind of harping on it and sticking it in our face before he dropped the uh, little bomb that no. Uh, <laughs> Harkness was yeah. Don't I, I think don't spoil I our spoilers. Like over, yeah. <laughs> it just no. It just felt like he it, it, as we go as the story progresses, he overdoes the defection until I, I didn't the, think so. Point okay. I, I and the reason I disagree is because I'm putting myself in place as a member of the crew, and it's like this. The discussion on this go would go on for days. I just can't believe Harkness did that. Uh, I can hear the crew, the the people in the crew saying this over and over and over again. Harkness of all people? No way, you know. There's something really weird going on here. I I can just hear the crew. Um, Did they drug him? What's happening here? Yeah, really. Really. So I, yeah, even though it it was put out there a lot, it would be out there a lot. Yeah, I would think. I will. Yeah. I will say this. And when I said I put the book down, it's not because it, it was like I just fell out of the story. I was just shocked. I didn't see it coming. Yeah. And I had to pause a minute and go that. You know, I got it now. I got to keep going to see what the heck this is about. But I take a break. I couldn't. I was just like, what of all? I, like I, you I said, Jim, of all this, the people. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, oh, that was it. Just, of all the people. Yeah. Uh, it, it's this guy. But hmm. <laughs> only only Harkness could have done what he did and pulled it off. Yeah. Oh, we and didn't even know that. then, <laughs> even then, the only way it would work was if Cordelia was truly as sick as he was betting on. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So on Grayson, we get a little bit of a, a breather here. Allison yeah, dude, has my ulcer point. flared up over that last one. <laughs> yeah. 
Vaughn Grayson, Allison Harrington, arrives to set up a clinic to cure genetic diseases. The tree cats begin setting up their first off-planet colony, and the Admiralty prepares their new weapon to deliver a knockout blow to the Havenites. Esther McQueen is recalled to Haven for her future to adequately defend the Trevor Star system. What did I, oh, failure. Esther McQueen is recalled to Haven for her failure to adequately defend the Trevor Star system, but because her abilities were important to the war effort, Admiral Girardi was executed in her place. Uh, <laughs> Girardi, the, wh- yeah. the whipping boy. So, sounds fair. Yeah. Whatever. Well, there was a lot go, made. Go. Yeah, there was a lot made in the entire book about mm-hmm. officers getting executed. <laughs> yes. On Haven yeah. for Yeah, we can circle back to that if you want. That's a common that is a common theme in the real world for governments that are taken over unlawfully like this. Yeah. Essentially coups and uh you have to purge the element of the existing society that could that could undo your coup. Right. And that is historically senior military mm-hmm. officers, some senior NCOs, retired officers, and uh, depending upon how your law enforcement apparatus is structured within a, a particular government, it, it could include them as well. Yeah. Because that's the, that's the threat to you if you topple a lawful government. That, that body of people loyal to the lawful government may come back and go, I see what you did there. And I don't know if I can put all the pieces back together, but you're not going to keep your job. Yeah. So you purge uh-huh. those ranks, and that's what we're watching them do. Yeah. And, I mean, and it was like an actual setup. After- I was going to say, it was an actual setup to bring Esther back and kill Girardi instead because they were wanting her in the committee to try and basically to try and control her and use her to get the military back on track. So yeah. it, it was a, it was fair. They had some, they had a fairly elaborate setup to try to get this, to, to get her invo- rehabilitated or <laughs> popular in particular because right. she saved their asses uh, with the level of rebellion. Yeah. Remember now, it was an attempted coup. Right. Now, you know, if every, if every officer that, makes a mistake, winds up getting executed, how do they keep finding somebody to step up and take command of anything? That was one of the things she pointed out in, in her meeting with, uh, with uh, St. Just and uh, Pierre. Yeah. In fact, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's that discussion they have about, I'll use the word reform, I don't think that was the right word, but essentially now reforming the current military to make sure that they don't, um, to put to an totally deplete themselves or deplete further their ability to even just win a war. Yeah. You know, and Jim, part yeah. of her point in making that case was, hey, you know, I was the only flag officer that actually took any action to save the committee. The others didn't do it because they would, they were afraid they would be shot for not following orders. Yeah. <laughs> They tell didn't you, have orders to do it. Tell you what, I so would, wouldn't. I would not step up to be a commander. Yeah. So here's, and this comes out in the book. Here's how this will usually work. And Weber captured it well. 
Um, you know, Raul's the guy. Uh, Raul, you have upset the the Politburo or whatever, and so you're dead. And they turn to you, Jim, and they because you would be the next properly. You'd be the next guy. Uh-huh. Jim, we're offering you a job. And you go, <laughs> hey, how's your family yeah. doing, Jim? Yeah, I don't want to be the next Raul. And they go, well, if you don't take the job, whether this is implied or spoken, if you don't take the job, we're going to kill you because you're obviously a traitor. And your family. Or, your wife dies. So you go, you think you're okay. Well, why don't you take a day and think about it? And you go home and find your wife dead because the pizza delivery guy wasn't a pizza delivery guy. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. he, and, and you come home and you find your family killed. And the next day you come to work and they go, so have you thought about it? Yeah. <laughs> and you go, you know what? Maybe I'll, I'll take the job. Yeah. That's pretty deep. Um, but the point is <laughs> yep. where, you know, how motivated are you to truly do a good job at that point? Or is it survival? Yeah. So what do you want me to do? Take the trash out? You got it. You know, whatever. Just don't kill me. Right. Um, so, you know, I'm being, I'm being a little thuggish and, and, um, no, but that's exactly what's happening. Cartoonish with the explanation, but that's what goes on. Uh, Yeah. It's completely plausible. Good night nurse. And if you, and if you say no, you're a part of the part that needed to be purged. We just weren't onto you yet. Yeah. We didn't know about you. And but now we know, now we know where your loyalties are. It's not the state. Yeah. So, so kinda, you go next. Kind of makes you appreciate the military we uh, serve. Doesn't it JP? Mm. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. So it's um, Weber's pulling from history. We started with that comment early on. He captures a lot of historical things in the story. Um, yeah. To include things like having an SS. Yes. Uh, but this yeah. is, he, this isn't a lot of, he didn't have to be creative to create this world that is Haven today, quote unquote today in this book. Uh, he's pulling from history and all this stuff is legit. I mean, this is how it happens. Yeah. And so now what we need to do is watch uh, what happens. Um, the other thing to notice about what you're getting here, and it's a part of what this reform was that, um, dang it, drawing a blank on her name, um, <laughs> Esther McQueen, uh-huh. um, a, a part of what she's trying to gently address without losing her own head is your military is not looking outward on behalf of the government and the people to defend them from the enemy. Your military leadership is now looking inward. Oh, by the way, right along with you, Cordelia. Yeah. Your entire focus is on now basically saving your own skin. And you're not thinking about the fact that outside of the world of Haven, um, we're we're in a war Mm -hmm. with an enemy now that we poke so badly that they want to come get us. And you're posturing everything about what you're doing in the government to protect you. And the ideology and all of the things. And Weber is showing us that, right? They have a real problem now. Their Navy can't fight. Yep. Mm-hmm. They killed all the expertise off because those fighters could, could have overthrown the illegitimate government and put something legitimate back in place. Well, now there's a problem. They've got more problems than they realize because their approach has created people like Esther McQueen and Tom Tisman. Yes. And Esther McQueen... Yes has ambitions shall we say mm-hmm. yeah well speaking of uh ambitions no one yes. no one including state security aboard the tepas realizes harkness actually has no intention of defecting 
He hacks the computer and communication system on the ship and rigs a lot of mayhem to cover the Manticorn's escape. Shuttles are prepared yes. for escape while another group of another group rescues Honor after a running battle through the ship. And I mean that was intense and it went on for quite some time. The Manticorns and it was heartbreaking. Yes, it was. The Manticorns managed to get off the ship and a shuttle rig to start its impeller wedge. I am assuming this is something similar to warp drive, while aboard the ship causes total destruction and death of the state security personnel. And there was much rejoicing. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes there was. I'll tell you what, it was like a weight lifted off my shoulders when that ship blew up and atomized. Now here, yeah. here's... Yeah. That was, for me, the second of two. Hark realizing Harkness was on a mission for good... That was a big sigh of relief. And then they successfully get out and blow the ship up. And, and it was like, oh, yeah. You know, and, yep. and I'll tell you what, uh, any, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's folks out there that read this and said, I knew this. I could see this coming a mile away. All right. Well, okay, fine. It was still a lot of fun. <laughs> to, yeah. You know? Yeah. The, yeah. Now, oh, gosh, what was I thinking of? Losing, losing Robert Whitman, not fun though. That yeah, you you, you you wasn't as close. You weren't as close to him as you were uh, to Jamie Canlis. I cried when Jamie Canlis died. It was and it was all horribly tragic. Yeah, yeah, and that that whole scene where uh, Andrew grabs her and says, "No, you will go on." Um, and then uh, doing his so, yeah, job, I'm tearing, by up, the way. I'm tearing up here uh, just on, on this one myself. Yeah. And, uh, then Andy Venezuelas. Yeah. Oh yeah. yes. Oh, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, an accurate picture of succeeding to do something that was against all odds of succeeding. I mean, it, it there was just no way this was going to happen, mm -hmm. even though it did, uh, the outlook was bleak all the way through. And I mean, even honor had lost an arm over it. You know, it was, uh, for, yeah. cr for crying out loud. And Nimitz's injuries. Come on. Yeah, that too. Yes, of course. So, yeah. Now you'll notice I did not say Cordelia ransom is dead. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I noticed. All right. Because. The, uh, every time it appears somebody's dead in this thing, and I point it out, I find out I get vetoed because they're not actually dead. So I suppose we got to watch in the future, see if she got on some escape pod or something. So, well, just so you understand what an impeller wedge is, it's not exactly a warp drive. It is a stressed band of gravity. Uh call it a shaped black hole almost uh it didn't blow until their escape until the uh two shuttles were far enough away to be outside of the range and that is because nothing survives that uh -huh. you notice that the ships technically they didn't blow up they they simply disintegrated yeah and more or less ceased to exist so hmm. i i think you're safe in your assumption I'm not making no more assumptions. <laughs> she appears to be gone. Well, All right. And the important part is, uh, and this will be one of my quotes, uh, 
the 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 scene following up with uh, Tourville and Shannon Foraker, and it's also noteworthy who defected with honor. Uh, one Warner Caslett. Yes. Yeah. And that that was very satisfying. Yes, it was. Yeah. Almost as satisfying as uh, the erase button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So to finish this section up, Honor and the survivors end up on Hades to hide out until they can figure out what to do. All have suffered injuries, and Honor herself has her left arm amputated because of injuries while escaping. So we have a very uncertain future here. Mm-hmm. And which, you know, I I am having a hard time not picking up book eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Be, you know. This, by the way, um, this book, it, and as, as thick as it was, um, and, and all of that, it ended... I felt like it ended abruptly. It was a cliffhanger like, ending. No, yeah. you're right. If it, yes. If this was TV, be like, what do you mean this is the season ender? This, this, is, this is an end of season cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was, it was a, uh, it was the most abrupt ending I think of all the books. So it was like, wait, it has to be done. Cause I'm really tired. This was so much. And, but no, it can't be done. It's like the next generation, uh, Borg ending of the of the oh, season gosh. where you know Riker says fire and then it's continued next season <laughs> right. yes and he's like i gotta wait six six freaking months before <laughs> <laughs> no 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 you didn't have to wait six freaking months you had to wait a whole damn year or was it two years because there was an anthology that came out in the middle of it yeah so we got yeah we've got uh in the case of the books yes if so. I uh, yeah, if I ever get to ask David the question, I, I want to ask him about what his plan was, what he was thinking when he released things in the orders that he did. <laughs> if you are waiting for the next book to physically be published before you can read it, okay. I w- let me say it the other way around. If you were bi- if you were if you're binge reading, which is essentially what we're doing, even though it's once a month, uh, these books are big enough to. If you've got life, this is still binge reading. <laughs> the flow and pace works, okay? Yeah. If you are waiting one year, 18 months, 24 months between installments, you are ready to scream. Yeah, I, I believe it. No, you can't do this to me. What? <laughs> I, I, yeah, what, what, what I wanted to know was, was he thinking the big picture and the reread value? Because when you read it, everything in sequence that way. It it fits. It flows. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you can even make an argument for okay. He he's actually pacing this stuff. Oh gee, there's some things that are going to happen in the anthologies that are going to add some richness to the stuff that's coming up next. So it's a good time to do it. I I really want right. to ask him that question. Well, anyway, maybe who knows? Maybe we'll get that opportunity. Yeah. All right, Raul. Why don't you uh, take us into some characters? Okay, I am kind of split this between the Havenites and the Manticoran and Alliance. Um, and with, uh, with, with the, uh, first group, we, we've got the triumvirate of Camille de Moulin, uh, Louis St. Just and Robespierre from the committee, uh, of pup. Not, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. I got the wrong history here. We've got Cordelia Ransom, 
uh, Secretary of Public Information, uh, Oscar St. Just, uh, Secretary of State Security, <laughs> and Rob S. Pierre, yeah. the chairman of the committee. Who will be sloppy and call it Robes Pierre. <laughs> and folks, go ahead and look, look up Camille Desmoulins and Louis de Saint Just uh, yeah. with, uh, with respect to uh, the French Revolution. Because Camille was a journalist, as I recall, right? Yes. Who became a power a, hitter during. Yeah, and he was a member. He and it was, It's a he, not a she. Uh, Cordelia, I believe, was connected into the title of his write, of his writings, in fact. Oh. So that, that's where they get the connection. Yeah. <sighs> Weber did his homework. Weber did his homework. And this is very <laughs> much Cordelia's uh, story more than anything. We'll, we'll get uh, yeah. St. Just later right and hopefully jp you'll talk a little bit about that uh about her in some of the themes and the role of information uh we have promise huh (laughs) well i can't promise but (laughs) we'll see lot lots of red shirt ss thugs that are given names but i'm not going to go through them esther mcqueen thoughts on her damn lucky There was someone to take her place. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah the they, they, they they slotted someone in to take the fall for her, um, yeah. which doesn't matter. Cordelia of, still wants her dad. Huh? I, I want to see more of Esther. I think we will. Yeah. Uh, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there was there was time spent on that character. I mean, and I, yep. I want to. I just I want to hope that that's because th- there's more to know about Esther McQueen. There is not only in the books, but uh, this level of rebellion and her her role in that actually is going to be covered in not I don't think it's in this anthology, but one of the anthologies actually gives us that background. So you will definitely get mm. more Esther McQueen. Cool. Um, we have Thomas Tisman who is back, and Cordelia makes a huge mistake in how she handles Tisman. And that that uh, that price will eventually be paid. And we also learn about his origin. Mm-hmm. He he was abandoned as a baby, and like oh huh? god, that was it. I was thought I thought he was a I thought he was a quarterback. <laughs> oh no no, I'm sorry. That's Joe Theismann. I'm so, uh, 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 sorry sorry. Okay okay, uh, I'll just you're, you're getting payback. You're, you're getting payback for my start there. <laughs> All right. I'll just I'll just show myself out now. Yeah. Uh, Warner Casla. Any? Well, actually, first of all, any thoughts on Tisman? Because we do see a lot of investment made in that character. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. he's a, a good military man. He is doing his job. Um, he's a patriot for the right for the right reasons for the wrong people. Yep, and like he stays out of politics. Yeah, he's not interested in politics. He's doing what he was trained to do. And that's that's what partly. If I can say this, I see him as the Omar and Bradley of Haven. Does his job because he was trained to do it. For not, yeah. The, 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 there's an investment being made in this character for purposes. Yeah. Okay. We cool. are far from done with Thomas Tisman. Actually, we're far from done with any of these characters that are coming up next. Warner Caslett, uh except the except the dead ones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, in a way, Warner Caslett, at least he's presumed dead at this point uh, because of Tepes being lost with all hands. Uh, mm-hmm. 
And by all rights, he should have been, except he chose to go with them. I'm not sticking my neck out too far, I think, to say that he's going to wind up in a, in a grave, grace, excuse me, Grayson or Manticorn uniform. I won't, uh, I, I will neither confirm nor deny your assumption. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I, but you know, I'm, I'm just predicting that and, uh, with you not confirming that, that means I get to discover it myself. <laughs> and if you uh, did, if you did tell me what was going to happen, I'd come down there to St. Louis and kick your ass. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <sighs> in that case, unless JP has any comments on Warner, um, nope. Let's move on to Lester no Torville. Hmm? Let's move on to Lester Torville. No. New character introduced. Bit of a cowboy. He's a lot like Theisman. Yeah, but he's a lot like Theisman. In capability, yes. Um, in fact, he's yeah. the first. He's actually I, not just the first. He, he may be ultimately the only admiral who is able to beat Honor uh, in a heads-up match. Well, I think we need to like the best three of five or something before we make that call. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He, he doesn't, it's he's a, not it's, evil. It's he's a small not galaxy. Evil. No, he's not. And that's the big thing about, uh, especially, I don't know about Esther, jury's still up, but uh, Thomas, Warner, Lester, Shannon, they're not evil. They are definitely not evil people. They're, in fact, they're honorable people. Uh, Lester oh, Shannon's is, amazing. Yeah, L Lester is the uh, cigar-puffing, uh, yeah. crazy cowboy. And we're even seeing we're even seeing some of uh, some of the uh, people's commissioners are starting. You know, Cordelia is was is in the process of turning Tisman's basically political hack commissioner against the Republic as well, not just Tisman. I mean, yeah. But that brings us to yes, Shannon Foraker. She's cool. She's really yeah. really fun to read about. And she should have been. She she basically sacrificed. She basically sacrificed her life to try and save Nimitz for at least a little longer. The only reason yeah, she yeah. survived was because Tepes was destroyed. Mm -hmm. On the Manticorn side, if no one has any other uh, comments to bring up, Honor Harrington Hamish Alexander. Do I? Do we need to do any discussion of the there? No, we already talked about. Is that. there anything? Uh, Nimitz and Samantha. Yeah. We sort of hit what, what's happening with them. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 now it remains yeah. to be seen, right? As this, as this colony grows. Mm -hmm. Samantha finding out about, uh, Nimitz was another one of those little heartbreaking things that, that yeah. was just, mm -hmm. that was crushing. Um, yep. And for JP, Brightwater clan, tree cats. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're yeah. not gonna get away from them, <laughs> and there are so I, much more. I fear than you're pets. right. Yep, I'm open. I'm open. I'm open yep. to. Uh, I'm open to it all. And if you've I'm talked to hostile. JP offline, he mm. does not. He 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 likes tree cats more than he admits. Speaking of cats, <laughs> I, we've we have just been joined. I don't know if you can hear her purring into the mic or not. No, but uh, I, I. It looks like that cat you're holding needs a diet. No, she is that <laughs> thick furred. Oh. <laughs> she is a bit she is a big cat at twelve pounds, but it is a lot of muscle. Ah. Uh she, but her 
fur is like two inches thick. Okay. <laughs> ah, continuing on, Andrew LaFollet, Jamie Canlis, Robert Whitman. Yeah. It, it, it was mm-hmm. just heartbreaking. Yep. Especially Andrew LaFollet. And, I'll tell you yep. what. I The guy was so cool. He was so cool. Uh, you yeah. know. He lived. Yeah. But still, yeah, in in a way, it was it was he was it was even more heartbreaking for him than losing Jamie. Yeah, was for me. What we realize, they're not serving her just out of duty anymore. It, they're serving her out of love. Oh, they yeah. The, mm-hmm. This is they believe in what they are doing. It's it's not a job. Mm-hmm. It is it is their yeah. purpose in life. Alistair McKeon. Has come a long way since on Basilisk Station. <laughs> and that's actually what yes. I was going to ask you guys about. Is this the same Alistair that we remember from on Basilisk Station? It is, but he's more mature and he's more sure of himself and and he has found his way. Yep. If you remember when we did that first show, I told you guys I would be asking your thoughts about Alistair uh, yeah. several books in. Mm-hmm. This is that point. Ah. So I, I, well, I, I think had to the do that. Alistair we see now, uh, Honor gets a lot of credit for, for that. Yeah. I won't yep. say all of it, but she, you know, the, here's an example of what her influence, her professional influence produces. Yeah. Yeah. It's like she set him on the right path and then he mm-hmm. took it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, she, she got his compass squared away and, uh, yeah, neat. And my, my listing of the order of the characters is an accidental because the next one I wanted to bring up and the, you, Jim, you, what you just said is a perfect segue for this Cl- Carson clink scales. Yeah. Um, it doesn't need a whole lot, but of conf- his issues were very different than Alistair's, uh-huh. but yeah, it, it's the same effect It's the fact, the effect that she has on people and people rising to their occasion ultimately. Yeah. I, I, I think I mentioned Carson. I will be mentioning Carson a little later on. So then I'll leave that for then. Yeah. Losing Andy Venezales. Yeah. That was. That hurt. Yeah. It, it was a. No, it was more case of rising to the occasion, but yeah, that hurt. And one of the reasons it has to be brought up here in the character listing is it tells you something. No character in this series is safe. <laughs> so it's like, oh. God, who who is going to get killed next? Yeah. I don't like to think about it that way. <laughs> no. one, one of the quotes I have talks about that to some extent. No. Okay. Not not Andy specifically, but loss. Yeah. Yep. So when we get to quotes, we'll... Scotty Tremaine, R- I, I think he was our window into how to, how to feel where Harkness is concerned. And frankly... Horace Harkness, in my opinion, is the real hero of the story. Uh, yeah, I can't disagree with that. Certainly a hero and maybe the hero for this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you can argue that for sure. Yep, and, and he and he got there by writing game cheats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to mention Allison Harrison, and actually I'm going to bring her Harrington. up as... I think you meant Harrington. I thought that's what I said. Allison Harrington, uh, <laughs> but I've got to mention her in context with Miranda LaFollette 
and uh, Howard Klink scales because those three are almost a matched set. And mm. the big question I have at this point is, will Grayson survive Allison? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it will, but it's going to be way different than it was. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm not talking pastels, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, She's a force of nature, and we know why honor is also. Yes. Yes. She, I think it was uh, Howard that made the, had the realization. She knows, he not, he, now he knows where uh, honor got her tactical skills. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. And we can find out that Allison is just a little bit vain. In a good way. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And she's Wait, not you said tactical t- skills? Huh? Or tact? Tact. <laughs> tactical or t- Honor did not get her tact from her mother. No, that's for sure. Absolutely uh-huh. not. She did get her tactical yep. uh, abilities, I think, from her mother. But sorry, I, ba- I backed us no, up there. No, no, no. That, no worries. That, that, that's, that's why he pauses for people to add, in, add things in. Um I, I think it was I think it was absolutely hilarious. Well, first of all, it was great that Howard was able to take her in stride. So mm-hmm. yeah. the, the, we may be in for some surprises where Grayson and Allison Harrington are concerned. Clink Scales is in the bucket of people that should have be most reviled yeah. by all of this. All yeah. of it. Honor being a stead hole. I mean everything. And he started out in the opposition, right? But yep. uh it what a what a cool thing to see his changes not just to become an employee of honors and to be a trusted aide and all of that but now he at, you know hurricane allison rolls in and he's like yeah i got it whatever <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh miranda it, it doesn't take very long at all for uh for miranda to get sucked into allison's inner circle yeah so for the better for I the think. better yep yeah yep yep uh, and we find out that actually Grayson Women and Allison Harrington have more in common than you might realize. Mm. Uh, the, the, the little comment about the dresses, uh, she, she, Al- Allison is into, gets into uh, high fashion and uh, <laughs> that yeah. as much as any Grayson woman was, I believe how it was phrased. Ah. Um, real quick on places, things, organizations, obviously Bernard Starr, which is an important uh, w- place where Tiesman's at. Uh, that was the whole bit about uh, salvaging uh, careers. I am going to mention Pod Super Dreadnought, Lax and Lack Carriers, and Ghost Rider. Those were brought up early in the discussion with Hamish Alexander. Keeping, we're go, we're, those are going to be important going forward. And Hades, we will find out a whole lot about this place real soon now. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, Th- those are the key areas that I think that need to be in people's minds on, on in, in that regard. And from there, I'm going to turn it over to JP to talk about some themes. All right. This will really be a summary of what we've been talking about. If we had to digest all this down into themes, uh, honor and duty, honor the concept and duty, um, both from the perspective of captors those holding prisoners and the prisoners themselves. And like we mentioned it, uh, we've seen, we've seen Manticore and Haven or, or members of their 
militaries in both positions now. So there's a lot uh, that you can walk away from with that in terms of honor and duty. Loyalty comes out here a number of ways. And I think there's some lessons about what I'll call proper loyalty or loyalty properly placed and then misplaced loyalty. And that's a part of what, not just the only place, but that's a part of what um, um, McQueen, uh, McQueen and others are starting to wrestle with on the Haven side in particular. Um, and, and, but not just there, but again, that was kind of, to me, that was the big teaching. One of the big teaching points that that side gave us or learning points, um, the importance of the law of armed conflict, or uh, I, I use that synonymously with the laws of war. And that discussion came out in the book and it was important again, in the context of Cordelia, um, when she gets a gentle lesson in why it matters, one, that there are rules, and two, why it matters what your enemy thinks about those rules. Cordelia being very willing to dismiss all that yeah. as silliness. And uh, she got warned uh, about why that may not be silly and, and it might be worth paying attention to. But uh, those the, lo- the laws of war are important, and they're important for reasons that are not just self-centered from one country's perspective. Um, the Folly of a Coup, the book starts this way, and then we get a bunch of it in the, in the, in, in the middle, say in the middle of the book, throughout the book. Um, it's easy to, relatively easy to topple a government, at least as this was set up. But then when you have to be the government, uh, that's a different game. And we're watching, we're getting an education in that through not just this book, but some of the ones that preceded it. Running the show is different than being the armchair quarterback or the one that knocks the the prior occupant down. And, and we, that struggle is real for, uh, for the top three leaders there. And now in the people's Republic, you know, committee of public safety, um, the SS and, uh, the, uh, the information bureau, whatever the heck those guys are called. But, uh, yeah, well, hard to be the boss when you have to be the boss. And now they're trying to run yep. a government and they're trying to run a government that protects itself from its own people, not, from external threats <laughs> and uh, it's frankly it's entertaining to watch but uh, mm-hmm. we get a lot of that like i said the book the the beginning of the book starts us down that path and we get doses of it throughout um, and then related to that the last thing that we brought up uh, that i want to call it as a theme is professional military versus what i'll call a puppet military uh, professional military with actual leadership and combat capability and loyalty placed in the right places and all of that versus um, a pup, but again, what I'm calling a puppet military, which is a military that is has a very different set of motives um, than the professional military does. And part of that is because the leadership in that in that puppet military to keep their jobs is already looking in the wrong place, loyal to the wrong thing. Um, and their jobs, if I, I think I said keeping their jobs, it's really keeping their lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and we, and we get that here and back to, again, a lesson that was given somewhat gently to Cordelia is if you don't let the military properly do what it's designed to do, unspoken, even if you, you know they're a threat to you because you're a bad person, uh, if you don't let them do what they're supposed to do, they're not going to win. And the point of the military is to go out there and win battles against your enemies. And that's what they were wrestling with. So those are the themes 
that I pulled out of here, the re- super recurring ones, obviously on honor, do- uh, duty and loyalty. They seem to just run constantly through all these books. Yep. Yeah. So plot, let's do that. All right. Points plot. of plot. Jim, you want to start us on that one? Okay. So a uh, couple of, couple of things going on here that I, I particularly enjoyed. I could hardly believe what I was reading when Horace Harkness defected to the peeps. I suspected <laughs> I suspected what he actually was doing was getting himself inside to wreak havoc on board the ship, but I've been wrong before. So uh, what might have been predictable turned out to be an excellent plot twist as he was responsible <laughs> for setting the stage for a huge escape. Okay. My other favorite point of the plot was Carson Clinkscale's slapstick clumsiness in the early chapters of the book. If there was ever a story written that needed some comic relief, it was this one. Uh, I just wish we had gotten more of his antics, but I was also satisfied when he came into his own during the escape. I mean, this poor guy would walk into a room and everything would just explode, Uh, you know? It was a, what was it a Rube Goldberg reaction? Oh, you, we, all he had to do was oh, in the mess or where? yeah, all he had to do was pour some glasses of water, and the next thing you know, he's <laughs> flooding the place. I mean, geez, <laughs> poor guy. I, I feel for people him. People are stabbed with knives. Computers fail. The the hyperdrive goes down. The whole yeah, it's just... yeah. I you know, and and my daughter, my older daughter, has a friend that's like that. He he doesn't have a computer because. Everything. Every time he touches something electronic, it breaks. Uh huh. And I've seen I've seen this happen. He's got just that kind of a touch. So I've got a wife like that. <laughs> you better uh, be. I I have actually used her. You better be nice. Test, I, no, I I've actually used her for testing purposes. Uh, here, try to break this for for software. You 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 experimented on your wife. No, I used her to. I used her to do the. <laughs> Touche, JP. <laughs> oh gosh! And on that happy note, then JP, it's going to be your turn next. All right. Well, I'm with you on uh, the Harkness defection. I mentioned that I had to put the book down when that happened um, to just pause. Uh, I I was genuinely angry inside the story. And I, I said this before, I didn't fall out of the story when the, this happened. I just, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't make sense of what was going on. But then like almost like just as quick, I decided this can't be what it appears. This is a man on a mission, a uh, secret mission, something's up. Uh, and it was exciting and it was horrifying and angering all at the same time. It turns out that that was the case. You know, he was a man on a mission and it was not defection. Uh, what made this a favorite plot point for me was that until it became clear what he was doing, I wasn't a hundred percent sure. I was pretty sure, but I was a little bit worried. And uh, it, it took the story unfolding to a point that I went, "Oh, thank goodness that he—he's who I thought he was." You know, he, and so that—that that was a giant relief, and that made that a, a favorite um, part of the book, a favorite plot point. Yeah, th- Here's this, the thing. Made, this made Horace one of my favorite characters. Yeah, period. yeah. This is the guy you want, right, with you in combat. Yeah. Um, so including the atrocities that we saw in the book, it seems uh, each book has brought us at least one significant surprise, if that's the right word, 
or new issue for the reader to experience and deal with through the characters, right? It could be personal things, professional things, uh, what have you, but there's always seems to be something new, the level of command for honor, the responsibilities, the problems. And so uh, this, this was one of those. Um, there was always a touch of uncertainty about what Horace was actually doing before it became clear. Um, so I thought, well, shoot, maybe maybe he is de defecting. And this was the time uh, that Weber's choosing to introduce the, I mean, people do defect. It's a, it's a real thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and you don't want to think of it and you don't want it to happen. Maybe this was the time. This is when Weber's going to make us see that and kind of wrestle with it. Uh, thankfully it wasn't. Yeah. So I, I will say this, I might've aged a few extra years while I was <laughs> reading this book because of that, that part. So that was, that's one, I, I call that out. There are a lot of little favorite things about this book, but that's the one I want to highlight. I, I've so actually, how about you, Ralph? I, I've actually got four, but I, they're, they're really rather short, but it's okay. I'll make up for that when we get to quotes. First point was honor dressing down Hamish Alexander over the new technology. Just compare this to the honor Harrington of what two books ago when he was chewing her out mm -hmm. as a CO to a junior officer. Now she's calling him to task as, as a complete equal. And on top of it, having read already, uh, the technologies that they describe are going to be coming important, which is why I pointed them out. Yeah. Uh, the, the second plot point, Allison's arrival on Grayson, enough said. Uh, yep. It provides some very, very needed breaks in the darker parts of this drama, in addition to Carson. Not just Harkness, but the entire escape. Yeah, I, I'm going yeah, to agree yeah. with you. The brilliance and how uh, Weber used Harkness, uh, it, it was brilliant. And as I said earlier, no one else could have done what he did and have it believed by Ransom or anyone else. But, oh my God, the price paid for that escape and especially the save honor itself, uh, it, it was sobering and Candless Whitman, Venezelos, it was just heartbreaking uh not just their deaths but the reactions to it and i don't know if wh wh every time i've read this it reminds me of a movie that you may have seen or not if you haven't seen it watch it it is my absolute favorite gene hackman movie uncommon valor uh that was one of the first movies to ever successfully bring me to tears wow you must be old that was an 80s movie right yes yes it was ah <laughs> <sighs> The last yeah. point that I need to bring up is the final moments on Count Tilly when Shannon discovers and realizes that, hey, Honor probably escaped. She gets caught by Tourville and he erases the recording. And that actually, I, I'm going to bring that up again. But from here, Jim, I'm going to turn it back over to you. All right. We're going to. Look at some favorite quotes from this book, and I'm I'm actually just gonna go first. Uh, my quote is very short, uh, but even though there are few words, it says it, it, for me everything. Okay, so Captain Thomas Greentree tells McGinnis that Honor's ship is officially overdue and presumed lost, and Honor herself is only missing. This is after Greentree leaves. 
Behind him in Honor Harrington's sleeping cabin, James McGinnis sat in a chair, staring up at the gemmed scabbard of the Harrington sword above the crystal cabinet which held the Star of Grayson and the Harrington key. He made no sound, and his body never moved, and the tears sliding down his face fell as silently as rain. Yeah. Yeah. Really tough good. scene. Yeah. One of the toughest amongst many. There's a lot of scenes along the, you know, along these lines. But you, you picked the one you pick gets them all. Well, you know, you know that, uh, you know, McGinnis's relationship, and I, I felt that of all those things that were said or or thought of, this would probably be the most relevant of them all, and that mm-hmm. that nothing was said. It was it was all just a reaction. So, uh, how about you, JP? All right. Uh, first one for me is a conversation between Captain Greentree, who you just mentioned, mm-hmm. and Admiral Sorbane. Um, so those two are having a chat, and this is how this unfolds. But what am I going to tell Grayson? Greentree asked wretchedly. I lost the Steadholder, Admiral. You didn't lose anyone, Captain, Sorbane half-snapped. Lady Harrington did her duty just as you did yours. She chose to wear that uniform, to assume the risks associated with command of a squadron in the time of war, and she also chose to order Prince Adrian to draw the enemy away from the convoy. I know, Greentree said after a moment. I suppose I even know you're right, and I appreciate your kindness in telling me so. Someday, I'm sure... What you've said will come to mean a great deal to me. But right now, right this minute, Dame Madeline, all I can think of is all those people on Grayson. Not because they'll blame me for it, but because they've lost her. Because we've all lost her. It just doesn't seem possible. I know, Sorbane sighed. She leaned back, running her fingers through her short hair, and managed a bleak smile. It always seems that way with the really good ones, doesn't it? They're not like us. They're invincible, somehow. Immortal. The magic will keep them safe. Bring them back to us. Because it has to. Because they're too important for us to lose. But the truth is that they aren't invincible or immortal. No one is. And when they go down, the rest of us have to find some way to take up the slack. That was a cool, cool context. Yeah. Um, Lesson for Green Tree. And us. I'd call it a pep talk, but that makes light of it. I mean, that this is a... Raul used a term earlier in a little different context about people not serving honor because of duty. It's become uh, out of love. And you see that here, mm-hmm. right? With the green tree. And he, of course, he states the obvious. It's not because I think I'm going to get blamed. It's because we've lost her. Yeah. So um, this next one is a conversation between uh, Admiral Thomas Theismann or Citizen Admiral Thomas Theismann and uh, Secretary Cordelia Ransom, who is, you know, a horrible person. <laughs> uh, she's the, is, we've talked about, she's the Secretary for Public Information, which is really mm-hmm. the propaganda arm of um, the People's Republic. Thomas Theismann wondered if the inhaler had actually worked after all, for her fervor sounded completely genuine. And by the way, for context, that inhaler that's being referred to, what he was liquored up, and this was the remedy, essentially a, a remedy for getting the alcohol out of your system. 
So, so is sober him up before he has this chat and he's questioning whether that worked, uh, for her fervor, picking up that quote again in the middle, for her fervor sounded completely genuine, but that was ridiculous, wasn't it? What she just said was entirely in line with the Republic's official propaganda line, yet surely the woman responsible for, for presenting that line had to know better than to believe it herself. I can't disagree in theory, Citizen Secretary, he said carefully, but I feel there are some practical consequences, tactical ones, not matters of fundamental principle, which must also be considered. Ransom's mouth tightened ominously, but she didn't interrupt, and he kneaded his throbbing temple with one hand and went on even more cautiously. Specifically, ma'am, it seems to me that the rank and file of the Manticoran Navy actually believes in the system for which they're fighting, and they see the Deneb Accords. These are essentially these are the agreements that capture these laws of war that I had mentioned earlier. Uh, they see the Deneb Accords as an important part of that system. If we violate... Nonsense! Ransom broke in impatiently. Oh, no doubt many of the enemy's pre-war professionals do believe that drivel. After all, they're mercenaries who were stupid enough or brainwashed or greedy enough to volunteer to serve their imperialist exploiters for pay. But since the war started... Their navy's been forced to recruit from the masses of the people. As the fighting goes on, more and more of their total manpower will have to be conscripted, just as ours is. And the conscripts won't believe the elitist lies. They'll realize they're being sacrificed in a war against their own kind for the profit of their natural enemies. And when they do, they'll turn on their overlords just as we turned on ours. Theismann flinched. He couldn't help himself for he just discovered a terrifying secret. Cordelia Ransom actually believed her own propaganda. Yeah. And then my, my last one. That was almost going to be one of my quotes, JP. And for anyone who tries to say, oh, that can't happen today. Huh. Yeah. Go back Watch and out. read a little history. Yeah. Weber and there's more than a little to, there's more than a little to be read. There's a lot of history. There's a lot of history behind that. Mm -hmm. And it is terrifying when you think about yeah. it. Um, and, and there's things in that quote, right, about the, you know, believing, uh, well, being brainwashed, for example. She's accusing the, the professional military of Manticore of being brainwashed. Mm -hmm. When, in fact, her whole job is to brainwash yeah. her own people. Like It goes back to the surprise, right? Uh she should know about brainwashing because she's the brainwasher in charge, mm -hmm. right? She's the chief brainwasher. But the terrifying thing is that Theismann realizes that she believes what she's saying. And that uh, is, is a part of what could cause the downfall of, of all of this. And we've danced around that a little bit. Uh, I expect to see some ugliness for, the, for Haven come out of this problem now. Uh, last one here is honor. She's, she's a captive. She's been abused, um, treated improperly, fill in all, you know, I'm using kind words. You can fill in, uh, whatever descriptors you want. Um, but she's now meditating on, uh, what kind of her state is for me. The quote gets to the true professionalism, uh, or at, at true professionalism, hers, but anybody else's, because there's a, there are life lessons here, and why we resist, we being military people who are captured, 
uh, why we resist, uh, and, th- and that is honor, dignity, and duty. It's also a good explanation for where the strength to resist and maintain honor comes from. And, and that's not only from within, but from without as well. Uh, these people could destroy her, but they can't take her honor. Only she can give it up. And, and you challenged folks, Raul, to read history. Uh, there is a lot of literature on the condition and the state of our POWs in a variety of wars, you know, certainly World War II and Vietnam, I could, you know, also Korea, and not just limited to the American experience, but um, there's a lot there to, to learn about what it took to, for those soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines to come home um, with honor. And uh, Weber, man, in a single book captures kind of the essence of it without turning it into a history lesson. Yeah. Yeah, um, I also recall before I read this quote, the, the uh, admiral, citizen admiral's description of Ransom's view of honor. And it, and it came out in the fact that she had great disdain for, you know, essentially the nerve of the mantic, uh, of Manticore's military to have the willingness to fight against the People's Republic. So, you know, here it is as I see it. Haven starts a war. Uh, they have a coup, they start a war, and then they seem gen. they is certainly Cordelia, but I, I think it's all of them. Um, the leadership, not necessarily the whole military, right? But they start a war and then they're, they're put out, they're disgusted, um, that the enemy would actually fight back. And it's like, how dare and, you fight back? We're entitled to conquer right. you. Um, you're supposed to believe my propaganda. Now, remember the propaganda is not for the out, the outside world. It's for the people. The, mm-hmm. the the people being oppressed. This lady bought into it. She bought into her own propaganda. She now believes the lie she's telling. And now she's just disgusted that the that Manticore would fight them. Um, I think that this proves that the government of Haven is is the real enemy of its people. It's not it's not Manticore. Yes, they're at war, uh, but it's not Manticore. It's it's the government itself has become the enemy of the people. And and what a what an uh, an odd twisted logic that ransom a, a exhibits in this and Weber lets us see that. So here's the here's the actual quote. Now shut up. Uh, how odd she thought she had to come to this point to realize everything she was and all she might yet have become. We're going now again. This is honor. This isn't Cordelia. I ended up talking about Cordelia, but this is honor reflecting on on her state at this point. Um, she had to come to this point to realize everything she was and all she might have yet, be, uh, yet have become were going to end, to be blotted out, to find the true strength hidden at her core. But she'd found it now, and as she looked at it with clear mental eyes, she realized this strength had no end. It might fade, might be driven out of her for a time. Indeed, it could be suppressed and overborne again and again, but it would always return for it was her and she was it. She was too self-honest and too much the realist to lie to herself. Given enough time and determination, experts like the creatures who worked for state security could destroy anyone. Yet in its own way, that was the point. They could destroy her with the right drugs, the right abuse and pressures. They could smash her, even reprogram her into something else entirely. But that was simply another form of execution. And so, uh, long as she lived, so long as a trace of the person she was had always 
been uh, always remained, so would the strength which filled her now. In that sense, no one could take it from her. She could only surrender it herself. Commodore Lady Dame Honor Harrington sat in the, in the shuttle seat, face and body bruised and aching, hands chained behind her while Nimitz's anguish pulsed through her, and her calm expression was no longer merely a mask to deceive her enemies. Honor's back, right? At that point, mm-hmm. it fights on. with, And she's sitting there shackled and beat up. Uh, they can kill is, her, they can destroy her, but they can't break yeah. her. Do you, you know, I you can't take from me something I I can only give you, and I'm not going to give it to you. Mm-hmm. And that makes her dangerous. So, yep. sorry, long ones, three quotes. Uh, that's what I got. Mine, I, I I've got several as well. I'm going to cut them a little, some of them at least a little shorter. Um, and I think they largely stand for the on their own with just a minimum of explanation. So I, I'm going to start out with, uh, th- th- this was in the conversation at the beginning of the book between Honor and Hamish that I had mentioned earlier. And mm-hmm. it highlights the extent of Honor's change just over two books. And it, one other thing, just to think forward, I, and I'm not going to include that as part of it in the quote, but contrast that with the personal ex- insecurities that still sometimes seem to come back to haunt her. Though in this case, I would say probably for good reason, but the run away from the personal instead of deal with it. Anyway, to the quote, no, milady, this isn't just changing horses in midstream. This is jumping off your horse while making sure you have another one to land without making sure you have another one to land on. And you don't do that in the middle of a war. Not if you want to win the war. This sounds too much like Sonia Hempfield's wish list for me to endorse it. Then you're wrong, my lord, Honor said, and perhaps you should have read the white paper rather than just venting your spleen on it. For Soprano's flat, biting incisiveness twitched Whitehaven upright in his chair, and she felt his astonishment through Nimitz. He was unused to hearing anyone speak to him like that, she realized, but she refused to retreat and held his eyes unflinchingly. Whitehaven looked at his hostess as if he were truly seeing her for the first time. I'm breaking from the reading. He is. Very few officers below three-star rank dared cross swords with him, and even those who did seldom had the nerve to address him in such a cool, clipped tone. But Honor Harrington had the nerve, and her chocolate-brown eyes were very level and hard. He blinked as he digested her demeanor, for it was painfully clear that all of his undeniable experience, achievements, and seniority failed to overwhelm her. There was no hint of apology or hesitance in her manner, and her tree cat raised his head to glance at Whitehaven from his perch above her. And I'm going to end that quote there, but yeah, that and all the way through to the end. Uh, I, I said in the last book, she's become a power. Here, here we're seeing that power in action and exercise. She's she's not Commander Harrington anymore. No, she is not Commander Harrington, um, and she's not Junior Captain, which is still a senior officer. Nope, she's not Captain Harrington anymore. She's and she's, she's not even here. More. She's not even Commodore Harrington. Right. Uh she is Lady Dame and Steadholder Harrington here. <sighs> the next quote is, you know, I okay, I could use every scene where. 
Alison Harrington is <laughs> pulled up as a quote. But just because it's Al, you got to have one of her, with her. And this one just sets the tone of it all so well as far as her relationship with Grayson. In the meantime, however, she said briskly, I understand we're supposed to join Lord Clinkscales and his wife for his wives for dinner this evening. Yes, Miss Allison, and I hope you won't be offended, but I simply wouldn't dare address you by name in front of Lord Clinkscales. Miranda feigned a shiver of terror, and Allison laughed. Oh, don't worry about that, dear. I have something else in mind. Oh, Miranda cocked her head as her guest tone rang warning bells, and Allison smiled wickedly. Certainly. You see, I haven't had time to as much as try on a Grayson gown, so I'm going to have to choose something to wear for my manticorn wardrobe, and I need advice. A sort of wary consternation crept into Miranda's expression, and Allison's smile grew broader and still more wicked. I'm afraid the styles are just a bit different back home, she went on in an artfully worried voice, but I did manage to find a few formal gowns before I left. Do you think I should wear the backless one with the V neckline or the one slit to the hip? That is what honor has turned loose on the planet Grayson. <laughs> well, she did think she'd be there to help control her, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> but she's not. But she's not. And actually, we get the payoff for this set. This is a setup early, and we get the payoff much later when we really, really need a little bit of uh, break and some relief. Yeah. She by for the record she went with the uh, backless plunging V-neckline which apparently is what was made out of extremely thin almost gossamer silk. Okay. Uh JP this one is going to th- this one is going to cross over into what you were talking about with ransom and I'm picking this particular one because this is where ransom cost the committee for public safety, their power, and the committee became... At this point, the committee was became doomed. Ransom walked slowly down the line, but no, Tisman reflected, walk was scarcely the word. She swaggered down the line. She strutted, and he was suddenly ashamed of the image she projected. Didn't she even begin to realize how shallow and petty, how stupid she made herself look? or how her contempt could affect the members of the Republic's Navy. Whatever else her prisoners were, they had fought openly and with skill of their, for their own star nations, just as Thomas Tiesman had fought for his. And when Ransom spat upon their courage and their dedication, she spat upon his. And what had she done to earn the right to treat them with contempt? Yeah, awesome it, quote. It, it, it was lost at that point. You know who she reminds me of? Who? Dolores Umbridge on steroids. On steroids. (laughs) Just, (laughs) she walks in a room and all the air just leaves. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) And I I have got one last quote. I've already referenced it, but the quote itself needs to say, needs to be in here. And in particular, it, parallels what's happening here with ransom at at this point because these other these people were also at that incident and this is talking this is starting out from uh th- th- this is starting out from uh i'm, I'm, I'm uh, lester turville's perspective 
And then he saw Shannon Forker's right hand come out of her lap and slowly, almost stealthily, move towards her panel. Something about his movement caught his attention, and he crossed quietly to stand behind her. She heard him and looked up, and her hand moved away from the erase key even more slowly and far more reluctantly than it had come. Torval gazed down over her shoulder at the tactical recording she had been replaying, and his jaw clenched as he saw what she had seen. Two pieces of wreckage, larger than most of the others, and on a vector that which had clearly taken them away from the murdered battlecruiser before she exploded. A vector which just happened to look very much like an unpowered reentry course. He looked at them for another long moment, rubbing his fierce mustache with one finger. Shannon's drone had seen them, but it was highly unlikely that Hades' EMP-blinded sensors had picked them up in time. And with the destruction of the fleeing pinnace, no one would even think to look for them. He felt a deep flicker of admiration for whoever had thought this one up, but he knew what his duty required of him. Yes, I know what duty requires, he thought and reached down past Shannon's shoulder to press his own finger firmly on the erase key. He heard Shannon inhale sharply, saw her head twitch, but she didn't say a word, and he turned away from her panel. He walked back to where Honecker and Bogdanovich stood, both still staring in awe at the visual imagery of the spreading pattern of wreckage relayed by Shannon's drone and cleared his throat. Yeah, that all rests on Cordelia Ransom. Yeah. And... From there, that is one of the closing pieces of the book. And so from there, J.M., uh, let's go ahead and give you some closing thoughts on the story. All right. Sounds good. Ah, war is hell. And this is one story illustrating that in spades. I've never been incarcerated in any way, but this tale shows the age-old concept of man's inhumanity against man in such a way it may actually be mild compared to real stories I've heard from the real world. I will never understand the levels of cruelty human beings are capable of. Uh, my takeaway from this is uh, we can watch stories such as those presented in Star Trek where all of the human memes are made moot by presenting a, a utopian society as we move to the stars. But I am skeptical. I think that if we ever do make it to traveling to the stars, our memes will follow us there. Uh, we are a people capable of great cruelty in the past and the present, and I think it will also be true in the future. Very well said, Jim. Very, very well said. Thank you. All right. Uh, yeah, I'm going to hand it over to JP, who's supposed to be hosting this caption what? anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what? I guess I'm being paid for it, so I should. Yeah. Um, my my uh, closing thoughts go back to one of my quotes, which is that um, actually it kind of ties to your comment, war is hell, too. Uh, everyone is vulnerable in a war. Everyone. And uh, the quote that I shared about, you know, believing that certain people are um, somehow immune or immortal and, and then things happen and you discover they're not um Weber did a great job of capturing the pain of loss, real loss and perceived loss um, because war is just that ugly. Uh, there aren't, there aren't ships that are bulletproof. There aren't people that are bulletproof. Um, and he gave us a really tough, awesome, 
hard lesson in what that looks like in this book. How about you, Raul? I completely agree with what you guys said, but I'm taking it from the other direction because even though while everything you said is true, uh, all right, let's just get straight to it. My closing thought, John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. That verse sums up so much of this book, not just a reference to Andy and Jamie, uh, but it applies just as well to Shannon and Warner. They survived only by sheer grace. And, you know, the truth of it is, even honors actions, you know, in, in, with, in, in risking their lives for that convoy it is still a reflection of that same basic truth principle. Th- this book shows us both the very best and the very, very worst of humanity in a way that few other books that I have ever read has done. So I guess from there, I'm going to pass over to JP. I'll give oh, you want a rating? <laughs> yes. Let's, let's, let's <laughs> look at some ratings for, for, for the books. Sweet. Well, I will gladly and solidly put down a five out of five for this book. Jim, you want to go next? Sure. Um, I'm going 4.5. My 4.5. My knee-jerk reaction was to go with a solid four. Um, but uh, in retrospect, I I enjoyed this story more than um more more than a, than just a four. All right. That only leaves one guy. And I am going to go with another solid five. Primarily because this book captured pretty much everything I look for in a good novel. It got it got the world building, the exposition, the characters. It made me laugh. It made me cry. It made me think. And it told a rousing good story and, and an excellent storytelling on top of it all. Okay. That brings us a overall rating of 4.83. Uh, mm-hmm. Goodreads. How does that compare? Yeah, Goodreads reports a 4.24, and that is with 15,907 ratings. Uh, Amazon comes through with a 4.7 with uh, 1,128 ratings, so we are actually above average. Slightly well, in the case of Amazon. <laughs> the well, people at Goodreads should listen to us. Yes, we're, we're, <laughs> we, are, uh, we are above average. Uh, in in always, I, I you know. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so um, that's that's gonna just about wrap us up for tonight. Um, on our next very exciting episode of the Honorverse today, join us as we move away from the mainstream Honor Harrington series and into the first of the anthologies, Worlds of Honor. We will explore three stories titled A Beautiful Friendship by David Weber, followed by A Grand Tour by David Drake, and the story portion of the book wraps with A Whiff of Grape Shot by S.M. Sterling. Uh, the last part of the book is an essay by David Weber called The Universe of Honor Harrington. We'll find out what that's about. And, uh, yeah. 
As always, a huge thank you to Mr. Hank Davis and the TP ne- yeah, TP Network of fun and informative podcast, of which the Honorverse today is one of. So there it is. Yeah. This was there a long is. one. This one went yeah. longer than usual, and I knew it would just because the book was so dense, but boy. It was like three books it. of stuff jammed into one. Yeah. One girthy book. There's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. There are other books that are longer in the series, but I don't think there are any that are more dense. (laughs) Absolutely. So, should we call this one a night? I think we should. Let's do it. Okay. So, say goodnight, JP. Goodnight, JP. So long, everybody. Thank you for listening to Honorverse Today. We welcome your feedback. Email us at honorverse at tpenetwork.com. We are a proud part of TPE Network. Visit us on the web at honorverse.net, on social media, or tpenetwork.com. You can subscribe to Honorverse today by visiting tpenetwork.com slash subscribe. Visit TPE Network for the very best in podcasting. Opinions expressed in the show are solely those of the hosts. They do not reflect the opinions or views of Bain Books, the authors, or TPE Network. Visit Bain.com for the best in science fiction. Many of their books are available from the Bain Free Library found at their site. Theme music is Honor and Sword by Zakar Valaha. Check his website found in the show notes for all your podcasting music needs. <laughs>